world. We're thankful that you are here with us today. We start a brand new series today called Esther because I love our church family. Matt did great at the welcome. He set me up. I got to have a good message today. So I got to make sure that Jesus is alive and we're going to celebrate that and the Holy Spirit's walking through me and all of this. But I will say I'm thankful for the grace of our Vine fam because they know my brain doesn't work well. So we had to transition from Easter to Esther. It was just an easy, easy thing. If we called it anything else, I would be messed up. So wherever you are right now, we're going to be in this book of Esther. It's it's a crazy thing. If you've never been in the book of Esther, uh, we were praying about what to do and we said, hey, let's do the book of Esther. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've never, I've never spoke from the book of Esther. Uh, If you knew anything, when we talk about, hey, I said I wanted to be, have an open heart this year, last year, I said I wanted to become, that was my word. Last year, if you would have asked me, what gospel would you never teach from, it would be the gospel of Mark. And we just went through Mark in our Bible study, and now we're in Romans right now. So I will say on Thursday night. So God is stretching me and growing me in this, and I'm thankful for it. So what we're going to walk through in this series really quickly uh, is Esther's an awesome book that many of us may be in a season of. It's a book about a season of waiting. It's a book about feeling you're distant from God in a distant land and wondering whether he will save you. And wherever you are right now, that, that's kind of what might be true in your life. We, we've come out of a pandemic. We would say, if I'm completely honest with you, this is the second season in my life where I can say we were trying to experience a new normal. After 9-11, we had to figure out a new normal. Like, there was a new normal. Like, there was no more going to the cockpit to see the pilots. There was no more waving everybody off in the airport. There were TSA agents up front, like, ready to go. That was a new normal. And as we walk through this COVID pandemic, endemic, whatever it is, whatever we're calling it at this moment in time, there's a new normal that's happening. But what's happening in that new normal is this storm we've been in. We wonder, does God hear me? Is God there? Is he still wanting me to be saved? Is he still working this out for his glory and my good? And that's what Esther's going to attack. Because God uses the, the most unlikely people and the unlikeliest of circumstances to give him glory and to bring salvation. So wherever you are today, that's what we're going to dive into in Esther 1. The empire or the kingdom. All the Star Wars, Star Wars fans got excited. But uh, the empire <clears throat> or the kingdom, the empire or the kingdom. So Esther 1 is a backdrop, and it's going to lay the groundwork. Today we're just going to be foundational when it comes to Esther, okay? <clears throat> it's the backdrop of what's going on. And really quickly, as we talk about the empire or the kingdom, what happens is God's people, Joshua takes his people, he leads God's people into the promised land, okay? So Moses leads them out of Egyptian slavery. Joshua goes in, my dude Joshua, if you know me, I love Joshua. <clears throat> hint, hint, in a few weeks, we're probably gonna be in Joshua. Uh, Joshua uh, going and leading God's people into the promised land, they go take cities and God says, as long as you follow me with all of your heart, And don't turn to other gods, you will continue to live in my promised land. Well, the crazy thing about the law and what they walked through and what we're going to see here in Esther and we can celebrate the freedom of Jesus is today we're going to teach a lot. Sorry, I know y'all can handle it. We're going to have some teaching. Is the law brought blessing, but the law also brought curse. All right? If you didn't follow the law, you had the curse of God upon you. Go to Deuteronomy 29. And you can read about that. Deuteronomy 30 talks about God pointing to Jesus and the redemption of his people no longer leading and living under the curse. We just celebrated that last Sunday in the empty tomb. So God's people don't follow him. And so they go into Babylonian captivity. We've all heard of this book, Daniel. 
Wherever you are in your Bible, if you're trying to figure out where Esther is, cut it in the middle. You're going to be in Psalms. Flip to the right. You'll get to Esther. Daniel had King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and the lions den. The Babylonians go. And the nation of Israel is in exile for 70 years. They're out of the promised land. They've been sacked. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. They, everything. And so after 70 years, Nehemiah comes along, right? That's where we get the book of Nehemiah. Some of the Israelites go back to the promised land. Others stay in Babylonian captivity. Well, Babylon gets conquered by Persia, Xerxes, more on that in a second, and that's what we're going to pick up. So we're about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity started. This is a snapshot of this citadel called Susa. Uh, So this is where Esther is. So distant land, held hostage basically, and now what do you do? You've grown up your whole life and all you know is captivity. Well, you haven't seen that in Israel since they were in Egyptian slavery. So now all of a sudden, what do you do? And so we're going to talk about Esther today and this empire or the kingdom, but the thing is, we're not even going to meet Esther till next week. And I promise you, I'm not going to dress like Esther, so don't get excited. Uh, I might dress like Easter, but not Esther. So I promise you that. We're going to meet Esther next week, but we got to lay the groundwork. we got to have the background. So here we are. Let's see what God does in Esther 1. Verse 1 through 9, as we talk about the empire or the kingdom. Once again, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free for the asking our Vine Production team. I say it every week because I'm so thankful for them. They make sure that it's on the screen wherever you're watching around the world. But I say this all the time too, free church app, the vine.tv slash app. It's got notes in there. If you struggle with where Esther is, don't feel bad. All of us have been there unless we did sword drills back in the day. You know, you know, Uh, sword drills back in the day. Uh, So if that's the case, you can follow along with us, take notes. You can connect with us. If we can pray for you in any way, you can let us know. It's a really, really cool free app to follow along with us. So Esther 1, verse 1 through 9 says this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. So basically all of the Middle East, from India all the way in, like, he, he, he's over all of these, these places. At the time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media. You thought Media was just something we had. Look at there. It's a place. Go figure. Media, uh, the princes and the, no- and the nobles of the provinces were present. So all of the to-do, all of the elite are present. Look how long this thing lasts. If you're following along with us in our Bible Devo app, this is awesome because it just reaffirmed what we were going for. Verse 4. For a full 180 days, he displayed his vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. Six months. The dude threw a party for six months. It was like, it was a victory parade. This was a big deal. Many would say, as we've gone through, like I said in our Bible deal, he was celebrating victory. He was actually plotting going somewhere else. More on that in a second. But if you're taking notes, I want you to see the juxtaposition here. What is Xerxes doing? He is glorifying himself. He is showing his power and opulence and how great he is. We're going to see that as opposed to Jesus, in just a minute. But this victory he was planning, if you're struggling, I told you all this, maybe you didn't grow up in church, you don't know what I'm talking about, you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Babylonian captivity, what in the world's going on? Well, as we read the Bible together, and even commentaries have said, this celebration was to actually plan for his invasion into Greece. 
what does that have to do? 300. Now do you know? Now can you get a time frame? He's about to go into Greece. He's about to go. He's about to go there. He's going to fight the Athenians, the Spartans. He's about to do that. He, he does that within the next three years. Like, they think this was a celebration before he goes to do that. So if you're looking for a time frame, Spartan, like, that's it. This is it. This is the time frame. This is where it's happening. Kicking people down wells and stuff. If I did that again, I'd pull a muscle. Like, wherever you are, that is where we are. So if you're struggling with time, that's it. But you see, as, as the Jews wanted Jesus, they wanted God to do that. They don't feel like God's doing that for them. They just keep getting conquered. And maybe that's what you feel like. You feel like you are conquered and overwhelmed in this world, but there is hope that is found in Christ. So, verse 5. When these days are over, he has a six-month party, then he has a seven-day party. It says, when these days are over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Verse 9, very important. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women and the royal palace of King Xerxes. So we got a little bit of a foundation. We've got a little bit of a groundwork. What we can see is something that doesn't happen today, okay? What doesn't happen today is those in power don't take and exert their power over others when they're really powerless. That doesn't happen today, does it? That's not something, oh, this isn't new in the world that we live in because it's true. What he is doing is King Xerxes is exerting his power. Then and now, those who project power have no power. I know that sounds crazy. We're gonna see Jesus. Jesus never projected power. His power was on the cross and in the empty tomb, right? Like his power was displayed. We talked about the power of the resurrection last week. So those who are in power right now, if you've ever been with someone who is a manipulator, if you've ever been with someone who is an abuser, what they do is the victim is powerless because the abuser makes them feel like they have no power to get away, right? That's what Xerxes is doing. He's doing this. He's actually throwing this grand display so he can say he is God himself, he is the king and God himself. This opulence that's in here is great. Doesn't it look like a Gilded Age? Don't worry, they'll probably have a PBS special on this. Like, there's something along the way. There's opulence everywhere. And if you look at the Jews in this moment in time, 100 years of captivity, this may be where you feel like you are in 100 years of captivity. They either assimilate or die. They either assimilate or stay in despair. As a matter of fact, I, I think I, I said Star Wars earlier. I think it's Star Trek. You can quote me, my brain. Y'all know, forgive me. Maybe it's Dr. Who, it's not a Dalek. Who's, anyway, I think it was like the Borgs, is that right? That said, uh, you'll know when I say the phrase, resistance is futile, you will be assimilated. Is it the Borgs? Is that what it is? Okay, Star Trek, there we go. Thank you. That's a Holy Spirit thing. Okay, uh, Star Wars, that was it. They just kept saying this. That's how they defeated everyone. They said, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. And anytime you responded back, if you didn't assimilate, resistance is futile. They just pounded the drum. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. 
Remember 300, he's got the drum, he's sending everybody in like he's just pounding the drum. And the Satan will do that to us. Hey, resistance to sin is futile. You'll be assimilated. You might as well give into it. Get to the beat. Get on rhythm with it. That's where the Jews are. Will they conform to Persia? They're in the same thing Daniel had. Would he conform to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar? Or would he stand up for God and be thrown in the lion's den? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would they be thrown in the fire? Would Daniel interpret the dream that no one could interpret? If you ever want to go back and say, is the Bible real? Go look at what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and look at it leading up to Christ. Because every nation that was in that he described, the iron, the gold, the bronze, and the rock at the feet, the rock is Jesus coming up and it says the world would worship him. Every one of those things held true before it happened. Do you ever question if this God is moving when you think he's not? He absolutely is. So wherever we are right now, if we are hopeless, we will assimilate to the world. We will assimilate to Babylon. We will assimilate to Persia. We will give in to the rhythm of the world. And we'll keep trying to get off beat. And then we'll have to go back, right back into it. We'll have to keep beating the drum. And we'll hear resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. Or we will see that our hope isn't in this world, but is in Christ Jesus and his, the personal work of Christ Jesus. 10 through 12 is where we're going to come back to in a little bit, but where we'll spend the most of our time today, whatever season you're in. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, high in spirits. Has anyone ever been high in spirits from wine or is it lo- Whatever. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him. Here we go. Sorry, y'all. Me human. That works. Me human. Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass. Talk about a poor name. You're a eunuch and they call you Carcass. To bring before him Queen Vashti. So he's drunk. He's got all the nobles in front of him and he says, bring my queen. Wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. The king became furious and burned, burned with anger. If you're in our Bible app, Devo, we're doing Esther over the next 30 days. This was actually perfect because this is where it landed on this morning. Talk about a Holy Spirit thing. If you look at all the commentaries, What it would tell you is when he calls for the queen, it wasn't that she just didn't go before his presence. It was likely she was supposed to stand before him wearing nothing but her crown or nothing but her crown and her undergarment that was see-through. So she's basically been summoned to stand naked with a crown on in front of the nobles. Why would Xerxes do that? Once again, he wants to show he is God, that he exerts power over everyone, and that he is the one in charge of all of this. And how dare you not assimilate? How dare you fight back? Because when you do, all of your privileges, well, your, your ID card will no longer work to get into the Citadel. So we said this is kind of like a women's series. This is a series for everyone. Like we're trying to do this going into Mother's Day, uh, and I think that that's awesome, but just think about that. Someone calls you to stand naked in front of them. How does that feel? When you're a child, you could care less. That is what it is. You're just trying to get away from the diaper, right? But like as you get older, that's not something you look forward to, right? You only do it medically, right? 
Or if you're married, and maybe, I don't know, we'll open that. That's a totally different series. I'm not going to open that one. That's why I didn't preach during it, okay? It's a totally different thing. Most of the time, outside of the wedding bed, uh, the doctor, you know, but at least they give you a gown. Vashti didn't even get a gown. She was just told to stand up there with a Burger King crown so that everybody could look at her. And why, why am I giving you Burger King? Because they wanted her to be a tool, an appetite, a pleasure. They wanted her to stand before everyone because she was great to look at. They wanted her, they, Vashti's identity was stripped away if she stepped in that room and who she was. And that's where many of us can be right now. Many of us think that our identity is in something in this world because the world, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. It's going to tell you everything that you're going to be. It's going to tell you who you should be, what you should be, what you should drive, where you should live. And as a matter of fact, even the world that we live in right now, we say, how dare you reject me for who I say I am when, quite frankly, you don't know who you are because you've rejected yourself. And as the pen drops, that's the truth of the culture we live in. How we, we hear culture yell at us and say, how can you not accept me for who I am? when the Bible clearly says who we are, either in the world or in Christ. And the reason that we struggle with that is the person who is saying that to you hasn't accepted themselves and their true identity. They're finding it in the world. And what we'll get to here in a minute is if we find our identity in the world, what Satan will always do, we'll come back to it here in a minute, is he will always have you standing there with your crown of the world naked and it's as good as a Burger King crown because it's worthless. Because he wants you to be robbed of your real identity. See, Esther, what I love about Esther as I've been reading and getting ready for this is uh, Esther's really a comedy. You're going to find this. It's very satirical. And if you know anyone that's great at telling jokes, usually it's because they had a lot of pain in their life. I'll just be honest with you. Those who tell the best jokes a lot of times have just gone through crazy circumstances because sometimes you just got to laugh at it. And that's where Esther is. It's such a, I mean, so you say, a, Jonathan Swift, I mean, something along those lines, you know, you, can, you could go there, uh, any of, and you think satirical and what they do. <clears throat> so we're going to see that actually God makes a mockery of the kingdoms of this earth by saving his people. And so if we believe he did it then, why do we believe he won't do it again? Like, it didn't just end when Jesus rose from the grave. Like, it wasn't like, like if that's the case, we wouldn't be here right now. It would be no, the simulation would be over. God would have turned the computer off and that would be it. We would all be there in the new heaven and new earth. There would be no point. You see, it's not. It's not. There's still people who have to be reached. And so that's what we're going to see Esther walks through. So Queen Vashti refuses. King Xerxes and all his power. He's drunk. He's angry. He's mad. He goes and he asks his uh, advisors, hey, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? What, 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 what can we do? Because we've got to keep it quiet. And his advisors say, well, if any of the women in all of Persia find out that the queen didn't stand before you, there'll be a revolt. Well, I thought you were as powerful as God. So wait, wait, one person doesn't stand in front of you and it just all crumbles? Like, what sense does that make? And yet he goes along with it. He's about to issue a decree and the, and the, and the, and the Purds and the, the, the Medians or the Medes, if you go back to this, you say, why does this matter? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar did that when Daniel was praying in the upper room. They said, hey, issue a decree. If anyone prays to any other God but you, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. 
It's the same thing. He issued it in the Purge and the Medians. Uh, if you, nerd question here before we get on this. Uh, Hammurabi Code, many folks have heard of this. Hammurabi Code is the, the, the law of restitution. If somebody has done something, we call it eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's where we get it biblically. But the Hammurabi Code is built into this. In other words, it is a way of retribution. If someone breaks your arm, you break theirs. All right? That's the, that's the law. So in other words, if Vashti has stood against you, then the whole nation has to pay for it. How about that? So one person stands in protest and we all get screwed over? How much power? Who has the power? See, the vaulted status of this earth, those that have the vaulted status, those that pull the levers of power, realistically, if we look at this, uh, we'll probably get kicked off for this, I don't really care. Uh, If we look at this, they're amoral or immoral at best, at best, they're incompetent at worst. And if it's, th- this is culture, this is what we live in. And the thing is, here's where I say, and this is what I want to say. We give them power, and that's the issue. Because our power rests in Christ and Christ alone and nothing else. Because we've surrendered it to him. Not any government in this world, because it will fail, it will fall. Babylon fell to the Persians, the Persians go, the Greeks come, Alexander the Great come, like the Romans come after that, but Alexander the Great is here with the Greeks, the Romans come, like empires fall. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And so as Queen Vashti is there, she now has to do something. Verse 19 and 20 says, therefore, this is what the advisors say, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media. Now, if you go and look at the book of Daniel, it's Medes, but this is so appropriate. Media, let it be written in the media. Because nothing bad. It's, ooh, the news, any, whatever. Uh, Media, which cannot be repealed. Does this sound familiar? How dare you go against what I'm saying and what I believe in the media because it can't be repealed because once it's out there, it has to be truth, right? Anyway, truth is found in the word of God and the word of God alone. It is it, it's what I build my life on. It's what I will stand on. And I'm telling you, it's what I will die on is the word of God. And I will tell you, the media could tell me all day long, the sky is purple. It ain't, all right? It's not purple, right? That's where we run into issues. So, He issues this decree and it says it cannot be repealed that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. So basically, she didn't stand before him naked and now there has to be someone better than her that has to come in their place. Does this not describe porn? To a T. To a T. And we think this only happens in the Bible in the Old Testament. This is the world we live in. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. So in other words, what we would do, okay, so this is where we're going to get to New Testament for a second, but I'm not going to open it. What we would do is we preach, I love our our vine fam here because we preach it truthfully. This is where everybody will go to Ephesians 5 and say, well, that's why Paul says the husband is the head of the wife and the wife must submit to him. But you see, they always leave out that the husband is supposed to die for her as Christ dies for the church. So in other words, you are both pursuing Christ. You're both pursuing. He's at the center of your relationship. So Xerxes thought, I'll just make a law that the women can't revolt and they have to do everything that I say they have to do. Now let me ask married couples, how does that work? When you come home, I'm putting my foot down. I'm glad because you're going to have to fix the floor, all right? Like, and get some dishes because they're about to be thrown. I don't care what you do, right? 
It's how it's going to be. Let's be real. So Xerxes thinks because one queen, so like think of the PR stunt. This is the, uh, the PR where, they, where everybody gets above there. We got to get ahead of it, sir. We got to go out there and get ahead of it. Like if I had one person revolt against me, I would want to keep it under wraps, wouldn't you? Like I wouldn't want anyone to, I would send them away quietly. We would have a non-disclosure agreement. Like there would be something like, right? Like that would be something. But instead he put it out there for all the tabloids and he made it law. So he actually exacerbated the problem. And all of a sudden what we can see is like, wow, how crazy is this? But if we really look, this is God setting the stage for Esther to come in and salvation of his people to occur. And this various random event, what looks so random, God is setting up for his people to go. So the question is, will we live for the empire or will we live for the kingdom? See, for each and every one of us, what Xerxes did, look at the difference between Jesus and Xerxes. Because Jesus, see, Xerxes wanted to be the king of kings. He would walk around, but I mean, he's got 127 provinces. I don't know about you, but if you own 127 of everything, you think you're a pretty big deal, right? Even if it's 127 Beanie Babies, you think you're, you're like the expert at it, right? Like, you think you're it. So he wants the world to believe that he is the king of kings and lords of lords. And how does he do that? by establishing the law and punishing those who go against it. Punishing those who go against it. But you see, what ends up happening is we get in that same boat because all of a sudden we'll start getting mad at God because we'll say, why is he punishing me for breaking his law? That's where this gets hard. But you see, where Xerxes punished everyone... And said that everyone must be defeated and there's no way out. God made a way through his son where all of us can walk in victory. See, Vashti, because of her shame, couldn't stand in front of the king. Sin will leave us in shame, afraid to stand in front of the king. Because we won't receive the gift that he died and rose again to give us to build his kingdom. See, an empire will fall. An empire will say, hey, you have to stand on this. This is how we have to be. And if you don't, you, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. If you don't assimilate it, if you don't become assimilated, you'll die either by the hand of the empire or inside of the empire itself. Jesus never asked you for assimilation. He asked for each and every one of us to be molded into who he created us to be from the foundations of the earth. By receiving the free gift of salvation, he died to give us. See, last week, we celebrated the kingdom being established. The kingdom of God being established for all. For all. And look at the difference. Look at the difference between Xerxes and Christ. Let's look at this picture that we talk about. When Xerxes presents his bride, he wants her standing naked in front of everybody, wearing nothing but a crown, so he can say, hey, look how beautiful she is. And people can say she's great and beautiful. And when she doesn't, he says, fine, I'll go find somebody else. Look at Revelation 19 when the bride of Christ stands before at the wedding supper of the Lamb, what Jesus did for his bride. He lifts us up. He came, lived the perfect sinless life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve, paying the penalty for our sins on the cross and loved us enough not to stay dead. He rose again on the third day so that his kingdom, the life we were called to live, can be built right now in and through us. What does Jesus do for his bride? He lifts his bride up. See, the world will leave you the empire, the world. See, from the beginning in the garden, Satan told Adam and Eve, hey, did God really say that? 
He's not going to kill you. He's not going to destroy you. And if you go back to Genesis 3, remember, they go to meet God in the cool of the day of the garden. And why are they hiding from God? Because they're what? Naked. What's Vashti doing? She's hiding from the king because she's naked in her shame. And it says God sows fig leaves, and he points to Jesus and he tells Satan, even though you're a serpent, you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And it points to what we celebrated last week. And so I just want to say the empire, the world, will always leave you naked with a crown that is worthless. And will always leave you in shame, and it will always lead you to a place where you are in guilt and hopelessness. Because you know you're replaceable. But the kingdom of God... See, that's when you're clothed in Christ. You're wearing a crown of his inheritance, defeating death. That's the crown we get to wear. And we can be in front of him unashamed, whether we're naked or not, let's be real, but unashamed because we're clothed in him. And so the question is, when we live our life, as we go about this, are we wearing the crown of the empire or the crown of the kingdom? Because we're working for one or the other. And I know I joke around a lot and say there are only two types of people that say there are only two types of people, but in this, there are only two types of ways to go. There is no in-between. Those that deny the kingdom are already wearing the crown of the empire. And you think the empire, see, the empire of this world will tell you what car you need, what house you need, what college degree you need. How's that working out, student debt? How's that? that didn't, that's not working out too well, is it? Those degrees, those certifications you need, those, those, uh, the surgeries that you may or may not need, it'll tell you the, the clothes you may or may not should wear, the glasses that you could wear, which if you find that out, let me know because I haven't won it that yet. Uh, it'll tell you all of those things. But in the end, it'll die with you and leave you empty. But the crown of salvation, the crown of Christ, the crown that we get to have in him, in him, in him is the one that'll last for eternity. See, the last thing I want us to be reminded of here when it comes to Xerxes is, see, Xerxes, when you crossed him, there was no place for you anymore in his kingdom. But you see, sin left us with no place in God's kingdom. But because Christ came, there's a place for everyone in his kingdom if we just surrender to him. If we just surrender lordship of our life to him, not just say that he's savior, but surrender lordship of our life. And many of us right now, I will be honest with you, some of us right now, Jesus is our savior, but he ain't our Lord. And if he ain't our Lord, we're crowned in the empire. We're not crowned in the kingdom. And the truth of the matter is, either we're gonna stay in the empire, and eventually, if Jesus is our savior and not our Lord, that beat. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. We'll try to find our value in the crown of this world, the crown of the empire, and we'll miss out on who we are created to be. But in Christ, in Christ, we rest in him, whether we got rhythm or not, we rest in him, and we are crowned in the kingdom. So as we go into Esther and we go in this season, wherever we are right now, I, I, I said, like I said, this is, this is a series for all. I really think it's a season that we're in, and I'm so thankful. It's a challenging book to read, but it's perfect. It's perfect for where we are. Are we going to stay crowned in the empire, naked, ashamed, and left out? Or will we be crowned in the kingdom, clothed, unashamed, and fully allowed in? Which one? See, when you come to Jesus, 
He's not telling you anything that you have to be on display, that there's something you have to do. See, this is our story. The law is here to point us to Christ. See, this law that, 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 that Xerxes issued, no one in the kingdom could fulfill. Yet Xerxes did that so that he could eliminate people. Jesus goes and fulfills the law so that we could be accepted in, y'all. Like family, family, a place where we all have a place. Family, that is why Jesus is here. So for each and every one of us, that's why we do what we do. This sin that makes us dead in sin, this law that I talked about in Deuteronomy 29 where we could either be blessed or cursed by following God, Jesus came to fulfill it for us. We don't have to earn it. You see, once he's Savior of our life and he's Lord of our life, then we will do his good work and we will show his crown. We don't worry about how many crowns. We don't worry about whatever that is because he's the king of kings, the lords of the Lord. What is Jesus calling me to do? Is, 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 well, well, this person, if you vote this way, they, I don't care. What is Jesus calling you to do? Because in the end, an election ain't going to save me. I'm sorry, it ain't yet. Look at your tax bill. I'm just saying, it ain't saved you yet. It's not going to. That new car ain't going to save you. It's not going to save you. That new house, it won't save you. That crown, you add one more jewel to it, guess what? It's going to fall out and there ain't enough super glue to keep it on. It's not going to save you, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus will. And so that's why we do what we do every week. See, John 1, 10 through 13 reminds us this about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who died, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. Let me tell you what Ephesians 5 really means. This sonship, this adoption. See, this is the culture. We we get this messed up. Ephesians 5 talks about a husband and a wife. And why is this? See, uh, only a son can be heir. If you go look back at the Old Testament, only a son, that's why Abraham said, I have no heir, I have no son, sonship. So the son of God, the heir of God's throne had to come down for us, Jesus. This is why we talk about man lifting up his wife. There had to be a son there to be an heir, to share in the inheritance. And so Jesus comes to share this inheritance of God with us, to be a part of his family so that all could belong. And many of us will fight it because we will say we want to be part of a greater movement on this earth. We want to be a part of this agenda or this initiative. And I just want to say, if that's you, you're in an empire. And like every empire before us, it's got about 400 years and it'll fall. Just is what it is. Go look at history. But the kingdom of God has withstood since the foundations of the earth. So the question is, what will you choose? One requires you to stand in front of everyone and be judged. That's the kingdom of the world. That's the empire. The other says, come just as you are, and I will receive you, and you will be a part of the family. And that's the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the question is, which will you choose? So with every head bow and every eye closed, that's why we do what we do every week. We want to welcome people into the kingdom, stepping out of the empire. 
And right now, look at your life, and maybe you can see your life is crowned with the empire. You thought, if I went on this diet, it would work. If I dated this person, it would work. If I, if I got that job, it would work. If I got this specific house, it would work. If I lived in this specific area, if I drove this specific car, if I got this specific set of tires, if I got this specific education, I will be saved. I will have fulfillment. I will have life. And when you look back, you will see it has left you naked and ashamed. You feel just as empty in that as you did when you started it. But see, Jesus comes and says there is a better way because he is the way. Instead of staying in your nakedness and in your shame and hiding from very creator God, Father God, Jesus came so that we could be in right relationship with the creator, with God. So we don't have to be ashamed building up for ourselves things in this world that will fail, will fall, and cannot satisfy. And he says, he comes because he is the way, the truth, the life. He is the one that can satisfy. He has come so that we could have life and have it to the full of the life that he came, lived, died, rose again to give us. And so the question is, will we accept his crown, Christ's crown, or will we keep trying to chase our own? So with every head bow and every eye closed, we're going to pray this prayer out loud. And we're going to say the words of this prayer, but it's not the words, it's the faith. What we're going to be praying and saying is we're going to, we're going to, go and say that Jesus, we're going to confess and repent of our sins and say that Jesus is our Savior, but we're also going to surrender to him as our Lord. So with every head bow and every eye closed, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life that I couldn't live, Debt, excuse me, <clears throat> died the death that I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins, on the cross, but love me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life, the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you can say for the first time you have confessed and repented of your sins and you have surrendered lordship of your life to Christ, you have thrown down the crowns of the empire and received the crown of Christ and his salvation for us, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand boldly on the count of three. One, two, three. If you're in the house and it's the first time you have prayed that prayer, would you do that? If you are online right now and it's the first time that you have prayed that, will you let us know? Will you leave us a comment? Hey, you can reach out to us, 864-580-6698. We would love to celebrate that with you. You can reach out to us at prayer at divine.tv. Shoot us a message in the app, whatever that looks like. We want to celebrate this decision with you of laying down the crown of the empire and picking up the crown of Christ by receiving it so that you can walk in newness of life. I want to tell you, this is the starting block of your life, not the finish line. You don't just pray this prayer one time and it's done. What happens is because you pray and because you walk in faith, you will see that you are changed in him. You are a new creation. And so for the rest of us, you can look up, we're about to, to sing, we're about to have some worship here. Would we celebrate his crown? Would we celebrate his name? Would he, would we lift his name high in this time of worship? Would you stand and sing? my mind to Calvary where 
Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in justice tomb. Sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name.
How thankful can we be that we are clothed in Christ and crowned in him? We don't have to worry about it. Like, hey, I'm, we go to the old school crown him with many crowns, right? Like, that's it. Like, it's his crown we get to receive. We don't have to earn it. Nobody's going to call us to stand before him uh, naked. Thank God. Like, you know, that's not going <laughs> to come forth. Like, I'm Lazarus, y'all. Y'all going to have to take the grave clothes off later. Like, no, we don't have to have that. We get to be clothed in him. And so that's what we get to share with the world. See, the world's out trying to collect their crowns. That's like Mario. They're running around trying to collect everything. But we get to show them, hey, instead of the scurry and the chaos, rest and the power and the person and work of Jesus and have the crown that does not ever fade. It does not ever fail. The fire will not consume it. Everything in this world is wood, straw, and hay, and it will go away. But him is gold, and it will last. And so wherever you are right now, maybe you're still searching for peace. Maybe you just tuned in at the end of the message. We want to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. Leave us a comment. Reach out to us at prayeratthevine.tv. And we want to pray with you as we walk through this series of Esther. And we see that even if God seems distant, even if God has us in a distant land, even if the dream that we thought we were supposed to be doing isn't what we feel God is doing right now, he is working all things out for his glory and our good for our salvation. So we want to celebrate that with you. And hey, next week, make plans to be here. Y'all, we got cupcakes over there. Come on. Like we got cupcakes this morning. We have fun. We have uh, semi-diabetes, pre-diabetes, diabetes, but we pray it away. So like we do that. So we would love to see your smiling face next week because we have a place for you because God's house is a place where all have a place. Have an awesome week and always remember the best is still yet to come.